Well, we're going to be spending time today in Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 11, uh, the words that were just uh, read to us. This text invites us to see two different relationships and the responses to the same Jesus. It compares and contrasts Mary and Judas to see what they valued and the differences in which they valued those things. One saw Jesus as useful, and the other saw Jesus as beautiful. So let's open God's word today in Mark chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 3. It says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Let's stop there just for one moment. I think it helps that we have some context for understanding this passage and the setting in which we, we find Jesus. So he's in Bethany. This is on the Saturday before uh, the crucifixion that will happen on Friday. We see that this, uh, this account is written here in Mark chapter 14, but it's also written in two other gospel accounts. One is in the gospel of Matthew, and the other is in the gospel of John. Now John, which we're going to see some contrast between John and Mark's um, letters today, or their, their, their words today, is John really kind of zeroes in on some details that will be helpful for us understanding uh, this story. Now, there are two stories within the Gospels that seem really similar. There's another story of, of a woman who also uh, wipes Jesus' feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair. Uh, and it was also in uh, the home of a man named Simon. But, but that story is a man, uh, man named Simon who is a Pharisee, where this man, Simon, is a, uh, a man who uh, suffered from leprosy formerly. And so um, Jesus in, uh, goes into both of those homes, but they are two different accounts that we see in Scripture. And so as we zero in here on Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 3, it says, as He was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Now, John chapter 12 gives us a little bit more details. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus, was, uh, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. It gives us a broader context for this passage of scripture. Now, let's stop and consider the scene for just a moment. It says that they gave a dinner for him. This is like a thank you dinner in which um, this crowd of people has come together um, to really celebrate what Jesus has done in raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, This is not a normal dinner. Uh, This includes the host who is Simon, who is formerly a leper, who Jesus healed of leprosy, all 12 of the disciples, Martha, who is responsible for overseeing the the details of the dinner and perhaps serving the, uh, the meal, Mary, whom we'll hear about in just a moment, and then Lazarus, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. And then, of course, Jesus, um, the guest of honor. This is an extraordinary dinner. As I I reflected about this dinner this week, I I thought about what kind of conversations may have gone on sitting around this table as they're all reclining together, and and you have this this incredible group of people. I I don't know if you've ever played this game before where where you you ask someone, like, if you could invite three famous people to dinner, like, who would you invite? Well, well, this scene is an incredible scene where, where you've got just an amazing group of people. So I can imagine the kind of conversations that are going on in this, in this home of Simon the leper, where, where perhaps you have Simon who, who uh, you know, maybe speaks to Jesus and said, hey, hey Jesus, do, do you remember that time uh, when like, my skin was like 
disgusting, like really, really gross. And, uh, and like my ear was about ready to fall off. Jesus, do, do you remember that time when you came and you like touched me and like my skin was like perfectly healed? You remember that? Like that was awesome. Or, or perhaps you, you, maybe you'd hear like, like Mary talking and she's like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. You remember that time when, uh, when Martha was in the kitchen and she was yelling at me and she was telling you that I should like help her and then, and then you, you told her like to be quiet because it's better for me to sit at your feet? Jesus, do you remember that? Hey, that was so awesome. Or like the epic one, so you get Lazarus that's maybe like hanging back and waiting for his opportunity, and he's like, Jesus, Jesus, do you, do you remember that time when I was dead? Like, like I was in the tomb, and like I was like straight up dead, and like I was starting to maybe like reek a little bit, and then like you came to the tomb, and then you like yelled really loud for me to get up, and like Jesus, I like got up, I was like straight up dead, and then I got up, and then I was, like, alive. Jesus, do you remember that? That was awesome. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what that conversation was like, but it would have been such a, a, a cool thing to be a part of, and just to hear the stories of how Jesus transformed people's lives in that moment. Oh, like, if you were sitting at that table, like, what kind of story would you tell about how Jesus has so changed your life? about how he's transformed your heart, your soul, and everything about who you are. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, like, you have that story. And it's an amazing opportunity for us just to testify to the goodness and the beauty of who Jesus is. And so we find this scene in Mark chapter 4, verse 3, where he's, he's at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. And as he was reclining, we, we see here in the rest of verse 3, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, now John tells us that the woman that Mark is speaking about is Mary. This is the sister of Lazarus. She's seen amazing things happen in the life of Jesus. She's, a, she's such a follower of Jesus that, that, um, that is, this is just such a sweet, sweet moment. And so it says that Mary then took this, this pound. Um, John tells us very specifically it was a, a pound, or, uh, which would be translated about 11 ounces. So think about like this, the, the size of a, a can of, of uh, Coca-Cola or Pepsi, right? So think about a can of, of soda. Um, and it's about 11 ounces of incredibly expensive ointment that's, that's made from pure nard. It's a highly, highly valuable kind of fragrance. And what she did is she anoints the feet of Jesus and then wiped his feet with her hair. That's what John tells us. And then as a result, because she's broken this alabaster flask, it's, it's a, it's, again, it's about 10 ounces in it, and so she breaks the top of it and she pours it over Jesus. Now this 11-ounce flask of nard, in today's value, would have been worth about $46,000. $46,000. This is about 300 days worth of 12-hour work at minimum wage. You add that all up. That's, that's the kind of expense that we're talking about here that Mary uses. Now, it was custom in those days to anoint a special guest, their, their feet or their head. But, but normally we're talking in those days of just a couple of drops. This was expensive and it was pure. And so 
taking just a few drops of this ointment on the head or on the feet. That, that, was, that was what was customary. But, but she has dumped a year's value of ointment on the head and the feet of Jesus. And John adds this, and of course it would be obvious that the whole house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. This spray, uh, you spray just typically a little bit, right? Like I, I brought some of my, uh, my cologne from home. It's a et du toilette. I don't know what that means, but uh, sounds really fancy. Um, but I'm pretty sure this little bottle probably costs $12. And so um, if you were to spray just a little bit, can you guys smell that? I, I was assured that we'd have smell-o-vision installed, so I don't know if you can smell it, but it's, it smells quite good. Um, but, this, but this little bottle is about two fluid ounces. If you can imagine 11 ounces, and, and I can smell it right here, and it'll probably linger here for a little while, this smell. But if you can imagine having that poured on Jesus' head and his feet and how it's, it filled the entire home with this fragrance, this is lavish love. Lavish love. This is profound, sacrificial affection that Mary is showing Jesus. So what would lead someone to do something with such sacrificial extravagance? By anointing him with expensive fragrances, Mary may very well have been making a statement about who she believed Jesus was by proclaiming him as the Messiah. In fact, in the Hebrew word for Messiah literally means anointed one. Or the word Christ that we find in the New Testament is the Greek equivalent of anointed one. So the human sense of smell is an amazing and powerful thing. Did, did you know that we have the potential to distinguish at least one trillion different odors? Now, we typically don't utilize that much of our brain, but we have the potential to recognize one trillion different odors and that our sense of smell is 10,000 times more sensitive than any of our other senses. And so by Mary dousing this on Jesus' head and on his feet, she may have been proclaiming to him that he is the anointed one. So instead of being crowned during a coronation, Hebrew kings were anointed with sacred oil perfumed with extremely expensive spices. They're only used for consecrating objects in the temple and for anointing priests and kings and and the sacred anointing oil would have been more valuable than diamonds. The scent that it left behind acted like an invisible crown, conferring an aurora of holiness on its recipients. Everything and every, everyone with that unique fragrance was recognized as belonging to God in a very special way. Jesus says later in the conversation, she has done a beautiful thing to me. She has done a beautiful thing to me. What would you give to a doctor if he could heal the last stage of cancer to someone that you love? What would you give to a lawyer who freed you from the death penalty for your wrong? What would you give to a savior who did both? Who both freed you from your sin and your shame and forgave you of all of your sins and saved you so that you could live in eternity with him. What is that worth to us? 
Jesus is so worthy of our extravagant, sacrificial, and lavish love. I love what John Piper says. He says, it's a beautiful thing when the worth of Jesus and the love of his followers match. When the value of his perfection and the intensity of our affections correspond. What a beautiful thing. So we continue on in our passage of scripture here in Mark chapter 14 because we have quite a plot twist that, uh, that we're coming into here in verse four. So Mary has done this extravagant, lavish thing, this demonstrating her great affection and perhaps um, speaking over Jesus that she believes that he is the Messiah by, by doing this. And so we see this plot twist here in verse four. It says, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. It says there were some who said to themselves indignantly. But John points out who the real culprit in this is. He zeroes right in on the person of Judas. In John chapter 12, it says, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to, um, to what, what was put into it. So Judas begins the attack, and apparently some of the other disciples join in. But listen to Jesus' response. He says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. You always have the poor with you, and, um, and whenever you want, you can do good for them but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my, my, my body beforehand for, uh, for burial. And truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. See, Judas and the disciples saw what Mary did and thought it was a waste of resources, that it could have been used for the poor. We, we understand that the motivation of Judas actually was uh, very much different. But the truth is, a life spent in selfless devotion to Jesus is never wasted. But a life spent on self is totally wasted. The very next thing we see is Judas descending deeper into himself. It says there in verse 10, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray them. And Matthew actually, in, um, we find um, that he gives us a little bit more detail about what had happened. It says that, yes, Judas went to the chief priests, and he asked them, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Judas' values were so vastly different from Mary's then in just a few days, he would do the opposite of giving $46,000 to Jesus, but when instead would sell him for merely $1,000. What a staggering contrast between Mary and Judas. Now, if picturing ourselves in this story, no doubt we would probably cast ourselves uh, in the role of Mary, 
sacrificial, extravagant in our love, lavish in our devotion to Jesus. But to be honest, I find myself succumbing to the same kind of selfishness and the idols of this world that I believe swayed Judas in these moments. See, given the choice between worship and myself, I almost always choose myself. In this season of life, these days, I think will no doubt doubt be very revealing to our own hearts and what we do with our time and energy. Most of us have a simplified life now. Many of you are uh, not going to work, either because you have lost um, your job, if you're, if you're working in the service industry. Some of you are now working from home. Um, you're without a commute, potentially. Um, our social lives have uh, become dismal at this point, non-existent. So what will you do with the time that has been gifted to you? I asked myself this question earlier this week when I knew that, that we would all essentially be in lockdown. And I asked myself, looking back a few weeks from now, or however long this season may last, looking back a few weeks from now, what do I hope that I will be able to celebrate in my own life that God has done? The answer, I can tell you, is not more Netflix. It is not more scrolling through Instagram. That's not what I hope to celebrate at the end of this time. You may find yourself also tempted in this season towards some addictions maybe that you've struggled with. Maybe they're, they're rising back up. Addictions or, or um, falling into the trap of isolating yourself or a lack of accountability in your life. But what if instead, what if instead this was an opportunity to throw yourselves into an extravagant love for Christ? What if we really could learn to love and to know God better and to discover our mission in loving one another and our neighbors? Jesus is so worth it. He is so worthy of our time and affection. But like Judas, it is easy to keep the focus on ourselves. We have many idols that we'll struggle with. And again, I I think in this season we'll see our idols come bursting back through on the scene and we will wrestle with those things, maybe daily or hourly. But you may wrestle with some of those idols. Maybe it's, it's placing your worth in what you do. And now that your work or your free time or your social um, circles are now, you know, really non-existent in some ways, maybe you'll find that your, your worth is in, was always in what you did. But perhaps this is an opportunity for you to reclaim some of that and to really have the gospel spoken over you, to be reminded that you are a child of God that your worth is not in what you do or how busy you are, your circle of friends, but, but your worth is being his child. And he loves you so dearly. Perhaps it's an opportunity for you to still yourself. Maybe experience spiritual disciplines or solitude in new ways. Again, not so that you can become more disciplined, but because you can express your extravagant love to Jesus and grow in your affections for him. 
what would that look like for you? Maybe there's an idol of selfishness that, that needs to be rooted out. See, the enemy will try to, to distance us from all kinds of people now. I think, I think now is not the time for social distancing. I believe in physical distancing. I have no problem with that. But now is not a time for social distancing. We need each other more and more than we ever have. And so why not commit to being together? Yes, it'll take some, some creativity for us to do that. But, but what would it look like for you to really love the people in your small group, the people in our church, to love your neighbors with an extravagant love that we see demonstrated and Mary towards Jesus. Perhaps this is a moment where we can really live out what Pastor James taught us from Mark chapter 12 last week. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. While Mary found Jesus beautiful, Judah saw Jesus as only useful. It's a picture of worship. You can tell what you worship by what you're willing to break. While Mary broke her treasure, Judas broke his trust. While Mary broke her fragrance, Judas broke his fellowship. The difference is that Judas was filled with greed and selfishness, while Mary was filled with the good news. On the cross, Jesus himself was broken and poured out on our behalf. Isaiah says he poured out his soul to death. Whatever sweet smell of Mary's perfume lingered at the cross was soon diminished by the smell of death. But we know that that smell of death would never triumph. That after three days, Jesus would rise from the dead and defeat death forever. And you too can experience that same life today by turning away from your sin, repenting from those things that you've done against the Lord, confessing your need for a Savior, and putting your faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who can heal you, forgive you, and lavish his great love on us. The Apostle Paul writes, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal profession possession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ, the anointed one. Among those who are being saved and those who are perishing, to the one are the smell of death and to the other the fragrance of life. Church of Beloved, may we be the aroma of Christ. We may, may we love him with such an extravagance that the world may see us and say, we are the fragrance of life. Let's pray together.